Kelly Vogler. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 41 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we are talking about neurological conditions and this is Allie Miller here. I'm here with Carly. Hey there. And um, we are so excited to share this topic with you guys. I really can't believe we've gotten past episode 20 without going into neurological health. We've gone through a whole gamut of topics, things like detox, the ketogenic diet, the role of hormones on the body, your adrenals. We just finished a killer episode I recommend listening to on heart health and cholesterol myths. But neurological conditions are on the rise, and we'll talk about maybe why today, but it does plague a good third of the population of our clientele. So I'm hoping that you all can gain a lot of benefits from today's topic. Yes, definitely. I think this can also be somewhat of an intimidating topic. Um, I think it's scary. And so hopefully you leave with just a a little bit more of an understanding of what can be the root cause. Because even in finding the root cause, you can find some comfort in knowing that means there's there's most likely a solution. Um, So that's really what we want to always bring you in these podcasts is not just scare tactics, but also solutions. (laughs) I hope not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Because sometimes it can be scary. Um, But, you know, if if you're not dealing with a neurological condition, most likely you know someone who is. So let's start off by talking about what some of the most common drivers of dysfunction are. So common drivers, I go to my friend inflammation, or or maybe not friend, my enemy inflammation. <laughs> um, inflammation is one of the primary drivers. So neurological conditions, I guess, first just to kind of describe, well, what is a neurological condition? We're talking about things like Alzheimer's disease, neuropathy, or any neurodegenerative condition. So neuropathy is the tingling sensation, the hands or feet, or, or paresthesis. Uh, we're also looking at uh, demyelinating conditions and concerns, things like MS, uh, multiple sclerosis. We're looking at Parkinson's disease, and I don't know if I said Alzheimer's, but all, yes. all forms of brain connection as well as neuromuscular tend to kind of throw into this category. So yes, inflammation is is one of the driving causes. We see this throughout the gamut of, of all of those different conditions that I mentioned. Another one is uh, specific ni- micronutrient deficiencies. So we'll talk about some of the common trends, those that play a role in nerve impulse and conduction, as well as nerve receptor health, and how the protective coating of our nerves can be destroyed by a pro-inflammatory diet or excessive blood sugar levels, and then the nutrients that can actually protect that coating, which is also super important. Toxicity is another thing that we see, and that's a big driver. So when we're looking at exposure to agricultural chemicals in uh, the food system or just in the environment in general, uh, that's one that we really watch with the, the increase of neurological concern. Bacterial imbalance is another one that we're looking at. So when we're talking about dysbiosis, um, also things like parasite uh, have a huge tie on neurological function within the body. So different forms of overgrowth of bad bacteria or yeast overgrowth are going to play a role as well as having any biological invader in the system can play a big role. And then I I think I already mentioned, but blood sugar balance is a big one. So watching that hemoglobin A1C or three-month blood sugar average is a big precursor to neurological function. In fact, we're calling Alzheimer's disease 
type 3 diabetes. And it's because those ages, those advanced glycation end products, are really tarry sugar-like plaques in the brain. And so as the blood sugar balance gets out of control, we're more prone to damage to the nerves where the myelin sheath gets demyelinated or the nerves get exposed or we get the tarry plaques. And this is why side effects of diabetes often, some are not diagnosed until they're experiencing that neuropathy. And that's because those harsh sugars have worn away at that protective coating. So there's clearly a lot of drivers for neurological dysfunction. Um, But with functional medicine, we often say when there's a lot of things going on to start with the gut. In this case, with neurological dysfunction, Ellie, why does the gut matter and how does the, the GI tract play a role? So the gut, we, we call the gut the second brain of the body. So, you know, the most neurological function is occurring in the brain, of course. Um, and when we're talking about conditions, we like to identify between the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. And so there's the involuntary and voluntary nerve impulse within the body or response or reactivity in the body and that's regulated by your central nervous system which is regulated by the brain Um, and so the brain plays a huge role but we know that the gut is the second brain of the body actually the secondary source of all neurological function occurs along the gi tract and many neurotransmitter production most excuse me neurotransmitter production is done along the gi tract by bacteria so there's both the element of actually nerve conduction and and nerve function influencing the gi tract and then the role of the gut bacteria playing a role in the production of the neurotransmitters that give feedback to the central nervous system so there's a very tightly bound or knit relationship within the gi tract and neurological health And um, we see this connected with sterilizing influence of antibiotics driving depression or the beneficial influence of probiotics driving serotonin. We also see this with excessive stress driving diarrhea or constipation. So a stressful event which influences the central nervous system and creates that excitatory stress response can either paralyze that vagus nerve, that big nerve that goes from the brain stem to the end of the colon, and that can create paralysis or slow peristalsis on the pumping of the GI tract to move particles downstream, or it can create an osmotic flushing and an excitatory um, increase of the impulse, pushing foods out rapidly with water. Um, And so on the day-to-day functionality, the gut is integrally connected. In fact, you know, we say things like, I have a nervous stomach, um, and, and you actually do. <laughs> you have so many nerves along that GI tract, and that can influence your digestion. And then, again, the backwards rebound effect is your digestion, and your gut bacteria can influence your brain function. I think that's quite a leap that's hard probably for some people hearing this the first time to really understand, that what is happening along your digestive tract can actually influence your susceptibility to some of these scary neurological diseases. So really, this really kind of draws back to the point of functional medicine of it's one body. It all ties together and no symptom is insignificant. So you really want to look at your whole body status when you're trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, I think it even what's really interesting, I just read a research study on fecal transplants and um, they are primarily targeting neurological conditions and autoimmune disease, 
but specifically neurological autoimmune disease and they're taking the feces or stool of healthy individuals and transplanting it to the bowel to inoculate or add different balance of bacteria in a different way than an oral probiotic would. Um, and, and they're starting to see favorable outcomes. So, I mean, it's, it's a really, it's a pretty direct effect of how the, the gut influences that, that whole cascade in the body. I remember the first time I heard that, I was just blown away. I mean, that just sounds in, so intense. But I actually heard Gwyneth Paltrow make a reference to that recently. So it's becoming more mainstream. I'm sure there's listeners who have heard of that now, which yeah. is crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, so let's let's try to focus in a little bit because this could be a widespread, never-ending conversation. Let's pick two of the most common conditions and break those down a little bit further. Um, let's start with Parkinson's. Okay, so Parkinson's disease occurs where we typically think of um, excessive tremor or shaking in the uh, muscular skeletal system. And this is because nerve cells or, or the neurons of, of the brain that control ner- movement in the body become damaged or impaired. And usually these neurons produce dopamine. And dopamine plays a role with relaxation and reduction of that excessive movement. So when these neurons die or become impaired, the dopamine production goes down and we start to see excessive um, movement or that shortage of dopamine can drive the tremors in the body. This is why the primary medication for this type of condition is going to be typically using different forms of dopamine-relative drugs. Um, However, again, going back to the root cause, we actually can look at neurotransmitter health and the metabolites and can do so successfully with clients um, working with amino acid therapies like L-tyrosine, which helps with dopamine production, um, and then looking at the microbiome and the gut production for dopamine to help with that, and um, also within that that mindset of regulation and, and cause and effect, glutathione is a new therapy that we're looking at specifically to Parkinson's as the granddaddy antioxidant, which plays a role with neurological health and Finally, GABA, which plays a role with the nerve impulse. So that reduces that excitatory reaction in the body. So just to be clear, do you see these amino acid therapies and other interventions regulating neurotransmitters to be something that will slow the progression of the disease? Or is this actually found to be able to reverse and eliminate Parkinson's? At that point, we're talking about slowing the, the progression. There is, you know, research studies done on favorable, you know, you know, um, Oh, boogers. Um, neurodegeneration is the breakdown of nerves. Uh, neuroregeneration. Thank you. <laughs> like, rah, rah, rah. Um, on neurological regeneration with things like intermittent fasting, high fat diets, and I think we'll talk macroscopic about the diet in a moment, but there are some promising research studies on uh, regeneration in the neurological um, system. However, I think they're slow and steady, and it, it's more about the focus of reducing progression, um, which can be done very successfully. And then, yes, these amino acids and such are, are going to be used to compensate for the state that the patient is currently in. Okay. So, like, if someone has neuro um, damage in the neurons that provide dopamine production, giving them that L-tyrosine is giving them a building block to convert dopamine. So you're compensating for that low production. Okay. And the other more common um, 
neuro, excuse me, neurodegenerative disease that we want to talk about and highlight is MS. And I, and I know that one, I think in my experience clinically, I've just seems to be a little bit more common, maybe not, um, but we've worked with some MS clients more so than Parkinson's. Um, let's shed some light on that mitochondrial di- demyelination. Yes. <laughs> so, so MS, we think of, you know, mitochondrial dysfunction and then demyelination of the nerves is kind of the two of the big things, typically diagnosed with an MRI and lesions in the brain. And um, things like loss of vision can be seen as, as a indicator of a new MS diagnosis, uh, loss of function in appendages. Um, often with MS, there's one side of the body more affected than others, but not always. Um, and so when we're looking at treating or addressing MS, we're looking at trying to prevent that demyelination or the damage to the nerves by um, supporting remyelination. Um, alpha lipoic acid is my number one go-to for that. Um, it's a both fat and water-soluble antioxidant that's been shown uh, favorable outcomes in research to aid with myelination and the myelin sheath. Um, and then also we are looking at for the mitochondria, things like CoQ10, and um, we're seeing in research the influence of uh CoQ10 and its food sources, which would be things like organs, which the American diet is very low in. A lot of these compounds are going to help to support the mitochondria. And I think of with MS, uh, Dr. Terry Walls, who's you know an affiliate within the IFM, the Institute of Functional uh, Medicine, and has Walls Protocol and Walls Warriors. And she is a physician, an MD that was diagnosed with MS and was wheelchair bound and now rides a bicycle and is walking. Um, she holds annual conferences, and her protocol and her diet is talking about feeding your mitochondria. That's kind of one of her big mantras is how to feed the mitochondria. And she focuses on leafy greens, sulfur-containing foods to aid with the detox process. So she's a big fan of mushrooms, garlic, aliums, just like we have in our optimal eating wheel. I swear we had that out. And um, also she's a big proponent of, of organs um, for that reason. So it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic and, and her diet is a, a really great plan for any of you that are looking at a new diagnosis and, and want an understanding of the mechanisms. Yeah, that really is an amazing story. Very inspirational and a lot of people follow that uh, autoimmune diet just to heal a multitude of things. Um, so let's talk about dietary interventions. The, the big one that we talk a lot about in our clinic is ketosis. Yeah, so you know the ketogenic diet we we've spent a couple episodes now talking about, and I highly recommend you listen to. We have part one and part two on ketosis, and then we have an episode on what is low glycemic versus ketosis. Um, but e- actually, Dr. Walls has three levels of her protocol, and the most advanced level is a ketogenic diet. And um, the ketogenic diet uses fat as fuel, and it typically uses the body's fat stores as fuel. But you may have to consume exogenous or external high-fat diet to use as fuel as well. The idea of this is when we can starve the body of glucose or blood sugar, we're not getting that harmful influence of that demyelination or those mean sugars wearing away at the nerve protection. And you're dealing with ketone bodies, which are very neuroprotective. 
ketone bodies are made by the liver and they tend to target the brain. The ketogenic diet, you know, was started in uh, research to support epilepsy, which is also a neurological condition, because those ketone bodies sit on receptors in the brain and reduce excessive excitatory neurological impulse. And so this is something that can be therapeutic for things like Alzheimer's. It can be therapeutic for even non-neurological like type 2 diabetes. But specifically, it does help a high-fat diet, helps to coat the nerves, cool the nerves, and improve neurological function. And typically, a ketogenic diet is going to be very nourishing for your mitochondria. It's going to be moderate in protein, focusing, especially if it's more of a paleo type of approach. You're going to get a lot of those nourishing fats, and um, especially if you incorporate any of those organs, then you're going to get a lot of those enzymes that help to fuel the energy factory cells in the body. So ketosis is obviously one of the you know, more important diets that we would recommend for neurological disease. But for those who are intimidated by it, what would you say the next best would be? Just low grain, low sugar? Yeah, the, the lower glycemic diet. And and the reason why we pull out grains in addition to sugar is that grains are sticky and they adhere to the GI tract. So if we're looking at also starving off or recalibrating, resetting the gut bacteria, we want to allow the gut to be plowed, if you will. And so if you continue to, to consume grain-based products or grains themselves, pasta, rice, you name it, um, you're getting that sticky adherence to the GI tract and it's difficult to reset your microbiome. So if we're looking to kill kind of two birds, by reducing the glycemic index, you're reducing the sugars, which are damaging, but then if you're reducing the starches in the forms of grains, you're also going to be reducing that uh, stickiness factor and allowing a good bacteria reset in, in the biome. And it's also just important to note, if you are going to work to increase the fats in your diet, the calories, even though we don't like to talk about calories, they have to come out somewhere. So yep. it's more beneficial to keep the protein in and do a moderately low carbohydrate. Absolutely, and I think it's warranted to discuss, you know, calorie restriction and neurodegenerative disease because calorie restriction has been very promising in allowing cellular repair. Actually, going 16 plus hours a day without food is really um, coming to, to be a very anti-aging um, process, a, a, a restriction of 20% or more of your calories from day-to-day -day consumption. And then that window of that 16 plus hour um, window of no food allows the brain actually the ability to start to regenerate. Um, and we're not seeing that in a diet where you're eating very frequently. So the higher fat allows blood sugar stability with fasting, and, and that's another thing to consider. But like Carly mentioned, yes, you got to give somewhere. And um, that means not only probably carbohydrates, but maybe even keeping that protein moderate. Um, you know, if we just add things. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. My dad loves to do that. I'm eating my, I'm drinking my butter coffee. And it's like, okay, With dude. my muffin. <laughs> oh, oh, oatmeal, yeah. And, and adding, I added flaxseed. It's like, well, that's cool. Aww. However, <laughs> yeah. And brown sugar and this and that. So, yeah, it's not just about addition. It's that double-edged sword of food as medicine, right? Where, where you have to both add the therapeutics, but reduce those culprits or pro-inflammatory or harmful ingredients. Absolutely. So we talked in the beginning about one of the root causes of degeneration can be micronutrient deficiencies, which is a common theme in a lot of what we talk about. A lot of the podcasts are going to talk about deficiencies because it's a building block of your entire body. So let's hone in on what specific nutrients can drive, you know, 
drive healing or with deficiency can drive disease. Sure. So I think touching on antioxidants is really important because, you know, we talked about inflammation and toxicity as two primary drivers. So antioxidants are going to be the big thing that's going to reduce your oxidative damage or an inflammatory process. They're also going to reduce toxicity. Um, So when I'm looking at antioxidants, I mentioned with the the Parkinson's, Parkinson's example, excuse me, glutathione, Glutathione is the granddaddy antioxidant. And so all of your building blocks from little baby vitamin C all the way up, including vitamin E, selenium, coenzyme Q10, alpha lipoic acid, another really good important one for nerve health, um, all the way up to cysteine and glutathione. Uh, Glutathione is high in avocado. Um, It is also one that helps to reduce free radical overload and um, can play a big role with coronary artery disease and inflammatory processes in joints. So one of those that's just a really beneficial one to assess and to replete. Um, It's controversial of the absorption of glutathione, which is why I mentioned in that research study they're doing intermuscular injections. So N-acetylcysteine is another form of a supplement that's the precursor or building block to build glutathione, and this is something to consider as well. Um, Certain nutrients of focus as well would be B vitamins, and within the B vitamins, because B vitamins are depleted with stress, so it's that connection back to that central nervous system, B vitamins also play a role with neurological impulse. Um, And so repleting your B vitamins can help the function of the nervous system in the body. So the whole family of Bs, and I'd specifically call out folate. So we think of folate deficiency in prenatal health with neural tube defects because it plays a role with the neural tube production. And folate um, plays a huge role with our overall nervous system and also our neurotransmitter production. It's important to note that if you're looking at a supplement form, you always want to take methylated forms of B vitamins, and I feel like I'm always preaching to the choir, but it's so true. Um, You don't want to take folic acid, which is a synthetic. You want to ensure you're taking methyl tetrahydrofolate. Um, Basically, just look for the word, the the letters M-E-T-H-Y-L, wait, I have to write it M-E-T-H-Y-L thank you (laughs) methyl and then cobalamin would be methylated B12 or methyl folate is going to be the methylated folate this ensures that if you do have a genetic predisposition or genetic mutation to uh, actually using the folate, you're able to absorb and it's bioavailable. So it's able for the body to use. And you can rest assured too, if you're taking any of the supplements from EllieMillerRD.com, we only put on there very sound companies that are regulated, third-party assessed, and they're not going to have a B vitamin that's not methylated on there um, right. typically. Yes. So um, B vitamins, super important. Magnesium. Um, so if we're talking mineral category, I would focus on magnesium for sure. Magnesium is going to play a big role, especially in the form of magnesium glycinate. Uh, magnesium glycinate is the neuromuscular form. Uh, we have a supplement, uh, the Naturally Nourished line called relax and regulate and relax and regulate is focused on sleep for those that have insomnia or difficulty shutting down because the glycine um, can help with relaxation it can converts to GABA in the brain which can reduce anxiety 
Um, and then we also, um, in that product, have a little bit of inositol, which can help with the B vitamin family production. And the maglycinate also works in, in smooth muscle relaxation. So it can help with preeclampsia, it can help with tremors, it can help with tension and aches, restless leg. So especially if we're talking back to that idea of like Parkinson's and we're talking about neuromuscular excitatory reaction you're aiding with reducing anxiety and stress overdrive which was beating up that dopamine production and then now you're aiding with relaxation both on the muscular function which is going to help with the symptom management but it's also going to help with resolution of the driving cause which is that depletion of dopamine and the inositol also helps with myelination doesn't it it does yeah myo-inositol is definitely correlated with uh nerve uh that that sheath the the myelin sheath is the protective coat that's kind of woven around your nerve ends. So yes, uh, inositol would be in that B vitamin family. Um, So beyond minerals, we're looking at finally amino acids and metabolites. So um, carnitine um, is going to be a metabolite that plays a big role with our fatty acid um, absorption and utilization. It's highest concentrated in the cardiovascular system, but this does play a really big role with the body's use of fat. So we talked about the benefits of fat as fuel, but also fat as a protection for the neurological system. Another one I would highlight is serine. Um, Serine is really rich in grass-fed whey. Um, Serine crosses the blood-brain barrier when it's phosphorylated. So phosphatidylserine is is the term used there. Now, the only thing to be mindful of with serine is it suppresses cortisol. So again, the idea of if you're overexcitatory, overstressed, serine is going to mellow you out. It can help with insomnia. It can help with anxiety. But if you're dealing with adrenal fatigue, then serine might actually drive more apathy, low energy, or even mimicking depressive mood. Um, So that's just one to be watching in that phosphatidylserine form because it does cross that blood-brain barrier. So it can influence day-to-day function and mood. Serine is one that I would more so go to with the food as medicine intervention of grass-fed whey. And then finally, glutamine. Glutamine um, is one of our best friends. (laughs) So unlike glutathione, which sounds very similar and is an antioxidant, Glutamine is an amino acid that is a building block and a fuel source for the enterocytes or the gut cells. So if we're connecting again the gut to the brain and neurological function, we want to make sure that the gut is tight and the gut is not inflamed and doesn't have ulcerations. We want to repair any damage. So getting glutamine in the system is going to coat and soothe the GI tract and rebuild any potential damage that was going on, which will help with creating more playing field for neurotransmitter production. So that might sound overwhelming that you need to eat all these different things, and not, but not to state the obvious, um, but this is an, a perfect example of why it's important to rotate your diet because if you're someone who just has broccoli and chicken every night, maybe a green salad, you're missing all of the nutrients in your bright purple cabbage and your red tomatoes. So we simply preach to eat the rainbow and eat all the different colors so that you're ensuring you're getting all these amino acids, vitamins, minerals, in your diet and not just kind of sticking to the same kitchen sink salad. Yeah, I, I, I think that's so true. And beyond, you know, the variety in your vegetables and fruits, um, you want to think about getting ample protein. Um, a lot of Americans are actually protein deficient. A lot of us are overfed on the carbohydrate department. 
but malnourished in, in healthy fats, which I think we've harped on enough today. Um, so, you know, ideally getting half an avocado, nuts and seeds, your good quality fats as spreads and oils. And then um, protein, though, is super important for all of these amino acid building blocks. So glutamine, serine, um, all of these compounds are going to be provided in proteins. So getting a biological or animal-based protein at all of your meals is really important for optimizing your health. Absolutely. So now that you know we're aware of, of how these diseases kind of start, some nutrients to really focus on, if someone wants to run some labs to figure out what's going on with them, which ones would you recommend? Where would you start with a client, Allie? So I would definitely start with the micronutrient test because this is going to provide us a assessment of 35 different vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. This is a way that we can see trends in the body as well. So if I see someone has low, um, let's say choline and uh, low folate and also low oxolic acid, um, oleic acid, excuse me, low, low oleic acid. And um, I'm going to start looking at, okay, is their liver working appropriately? Are they absorbing fat? Is the bile flow? And so we can work with the function of the organ that could be driving the deficiency. We can also look at trends of where to prioritize supplementation because we don't preach, just take everything. You know, it's not like a thing where, oh, I heard this is good for me, I should just buy it. It's best to work with data um, because some nutrients compete for absorption. So by taking zinc, you could be driving more copper deficiency and so forth. Um, so it's really important to get an assessment and a touch base. I recommend running a micronutrient test every year as an annual wellness checkup. We have some cool options. Um, there is an advanced functional medicine prime package, which incorporates the micronutrient test with an initial consultation and a follow-up and a copy of my cookbook signed. Um, but that's just a really good jump start in um, for whole body health, regardless of just neurological. And then the micronutrient test you can see more about under labs we'll put a, a link in our show notes but overall i mean we've seen trends like someone that has hair thinning and insomnia and belly fat and anxiety and they're taking three different medications and come to see oh and let's say prediabetes and their biotin's deficient you know so it's like by repleting the deficiency we can work upstream to influence a whole gamut of medical conditions so micronutrient test first. I think I'd also consider the neurotransmitter testing. And this is because the role of, again, serotonin, GABA, dopamine, glutamate, uh, epinephrine, and norepinephrine, all of these neurotransmitters have either excitatory or inhibitory influence, either to overdrive neurological impulse and reactivity or undershoot um, those signals. And so checking in on these values is really important to try to provide strategically what amino acids might be needed as building blocks to replete. And then if we need to intervene with adaptogenic herbal blends or maybe that serine to reduce excessive cortisol. So maybe considering a neuroadrenal panel or just the neurotransmitter panel would be helpful for you as well. Okay. And then you mentioned in the beginning that inflammation being a root cause to these degenerative diseases. So probably just getting your 
inflammatory markers checked would yeah, be? Yeah, I think the cardiometabolic panel would be a great option for that because it's going to look at the C-reactive protein. It's going to look at your fasting insulin, your hemoglobin A1C, so all the pre-diabetes risk factors and heart disease risk factors, which will also take beyond those two concerns, whole body health into account and generalized inflammatory risk by looking at the omega-3-6 ratio too. Okay. And then finally, toxicity. We could probably connect toxicity to every imbalance. Yes. So it's always a good place to start if you don't want to do testing, if you don't want to take supplements. Um, well, you probably need some supplements with a detox, but a medical detox is always an amazing yes. start to place. I was going to say, yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say, oh, we're awesome today. Yeah. Uh, we both need some matcha. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, rather than doing heavy metal testing off the bat, I would recommend doing our 10-day detox and following along with the supplementation. You're going to get high-dose glutathione with that. You're going to get enzymes um, and compounds that support your liver. You're going to get compounds that support liver kidneys as well as antioxidants and um, the amino acids that drive that phase two encapsulation and excretion of toxins. So at least that'll be a baseline support. And then if you want to look further into toxicity, wait about two weeks for a reset post your detox and then you could consider running an assessment for heavy metals or something. So in summary, it sounds like always start with the diet, right? Lower toxicity, increase fat, increase protein, moderate to low carbohydrates. Um, look into testing if you're not getting resolution from a clean diet. And working with an, a practitioner individually is always going to be an amazing place to start with when dealing with something like this. Especially if you get a new diagnosis. I think it can be really scary and we can be overburdened and overwhelmed with Google and blogs and misinformation out there. So working with a functional medicine practitioner that can do this advanced testing. Remember, I only work with patients virtually, so I can work with you literally wherever you are. And if you are in the greater Houston area, I recommend you coming into the clinic Naturally Nourished and uh, work with one of our dietitians on staff, Carly included, and um, get a great baseline of where you're at and how to prioritize all of this information. Absolutely. So thanks for tuning in to podcast number 41. We look forward to hearing from you to hear exactly what you want to hear from us in the next coming episodes. We've got some good topics coming on hormonal toxins and how to avoid them and then dysbiosis in the microbiome, which I think we could probably talk for three hours about. Yes. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in, guys. Be well.